Tonight we turn to the back of our hymnals to page 896 where we have Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be completing that study tonight, looking at questions and answers 128 and 129. I'd ask you to turn there so we can read those responsively. And then we'll be turning in God's Word to 1 Chronicles 29, page 356 in your Bibles there in front of you. 1 Chronicles 29. Lord willing, we'll be starting a series from the Belgian Confession on the attributes of God uh, in the coming weeks using Article 1 of uh, Belgic Confession, the Belgian Confession, to consider God's attributes as we think about how important theology is to our daily living. The Lord's Prayer does not end with a petition, another petition, but with a doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Christians have prayed these words for nearly 2,000 years. There is some question as to whether these were taught by Christ when he originally spoke to his disciples. There's a footnote in Our Bibles at Matthew 6.13 saying that some of the later manuscripts have included this uh, in Matthew 6.13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I won't get into the decision making when it comes to what textual family the, uh, the translators follow or how that decision is made. Simply recognize that these words don't appear in the earlier manuscripts, don't appear to to have been in the earlier manuscripts of either Matthew 6 or Luke 11, but they were a part of the practice of the early church from the early first century. And so we have to ask the question, or we have to answer the question, we could say it that way, so should we pray this prayer? And the answer is yes, because what we're doing by saying these words at the end of our prayer is reflecting something that is in the Bible, as we're going to see something that is a focus of our prayer as God's people. We're not adding to the Bible. We're not adding to Jesus' teaching as he speaks the word through his spirit to us and gives this word to us, as we're going to see in 1 Chronicles 29 tonight. But before we read that, I want to read responsively these questions and answers of Lord's Day 52. Question 128 How do you conclude this prayer? And we answer together, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because you're a holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. Question 129, what does that little word amen express? We say together, amen means this shall truly and surely be, for it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. You may keep that open. We'll be looking back to those questions and answers as we 
Consider God's teaching on the matter. Now I'd ask you to look at First Chronicles 29. David has been providing resources for the building of the temple. David is not uh, the one who's going to build the temple, but he's bringing resources. We see in the opening verses of First Chronicles 29. And then he uh, offers a prayer as the, uh, as the people gather and reflecting, uh, as he reflects upon what they are called to do as they gather together. And we read there in First Chronicles 29 these words, And David prayed before the assembly, saying, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the word of God. People of God, as we come to the end of the catechism's treatment on the Lord's Prayer, we want to review uh, what we've learned about prayer. Christians need to pray. We looked at that in earlier uh, Lord's Days. Lord's Day, uh, question answer 116 lays out why we need to pray. Because prayer is the most important part of thankfulness, which God requires of us. God teaches us, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we're to pray continually, offering up thanksgiving in all circumstances. The Lord wants to hear from us. The psalmist in Psalm 145 says, the Lord is near to those who call on him, to all those who call upon him in truth, this, this understanding that we're to be praying to, to God. It's needful. Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, say, there again, the Understanding is, Jesus is saying, this is needful, this is necessary. When you pray, you must pray. Prayer is expected. Prayer is something we do daily. It is talking to our Heavenly Father, which Jesus did each and every day. We need to pray because the battle we're engaged in is a spiritual battle. We cannot stand on our own for a moment. We would go down to defeat without God's help. We saw that in question and answer 127. Lord, uphold us, make us strong by the power of your Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual battle. The sixth petition we pray, Father, deliver us. Deliver us from evil, from our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, for they never stop attacking us. When we think about prayer, we pray about many things. At least we should pray about many things. We pray before surgeries. We pray before job interviews. We pray for direction about our future. We pray when we come through time of injury, accident. We pray for others at this time. We're to pray for God to be glorified in the world and in our lives. And He is glorified when we turn to Him and when we lift up His name and reflect upon Him as our help. Or to pray prayers of thanksgiving also for God's goodness to us. We must pray every day for help to stand in the spiritual battle that goes on all around us that directly affects us. I don't think I need to tell you 
That in our day today, in our culture, with all of the attacks upon truth and all of the attacks upon uh, even the Christian expression, whether or not it is allowed in the public square, in the public uh, sphere, pray that we would be courageous or our enemies will never quit. We need God's inexhaustible supply of strength and protection. And he says to us, ask and you shall receive. Ask. You shall receive that the Son might be glorified in the Father, Jesus says, that I in my interceding for you might pray on your behalf and that the Father would give you all that you need so that he might be foremost in your life, that you might bring much glory to him as his grace is seen in your speech, in your actions, and even as you think upon him and have peace I like this comment that I came across, which says it very concisely. God loves it when we pray because sincere, honest prayer in Jesus' name shows two of the most essential Christian virtues, humility and trust. That's what's evident in our prayer. Those two of the most essential Christian virtues, humility and trust. When we ask God for help, we're saying, God, I cannot figure this out. I can't do it on my own, but you can help. You can change things. You can rescue me. Mature Christian prayer always glorifies God because it is always humble and confident. It believes the battle is not ours, but God's. We need to pray. And when we do so, asking God for help and protection, he is glorified in answering those prayers, in transforming us, in changing our lives. Well, we need to remember God's power and glory. This Lord's Day looks at the closing, which has been a part of the Christian church's prayer from early days. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, how do you conclude this prayer? And Hermann Veldkamp in his commentary on the Catechism says, the prayer Jesus teaches his disciples to pray begins in heaven, and after that descends to our distress and warfare, and ends again in eternity. Phil Riken says something similar in his commentary on prayer when he says this, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is a fitting way to end the Lord's Prayer. It lifts our minds and hearts to the glorious throne where God rules the universe by his grace and power. Thus our prayer ends where it began, by giving worship to God alone. We don't give our attention to the networks, to the network news. We don't bow down before them and say, oh, please give us some good news. Save us from our concern. Tell us that our side is winning in this political battle. (laughs) We turn to God who says, my kingdom rules over all. And you are my people and to be living for my glory. There's only one place we can look with confidence, and that is to our heavenly Father who is above the heavens and the earth and does whatever he pleases, the psalmist says in Psalm 115. And what, does it, what pleases him? It pleases him to save sinners, to sanctify them, to strengthen them, to make them new. Pleases him for his work is to his glory. He is celebrated throughout the earth. And nothing can keep 
him from accomplishing his plans. Don't forget that when you pray. There are no surprises to God. There are no enemies too large for him to conquer. No issues in your life that he cannot bring you through. He is almighty. We want to consider some examples uh, from Scripture. Remember how he delivers us from that triad of enemies or that, that three, those three enemies that we heard about already in question and answer 127. First, from the world, when, when the enemy seems to be growing in number, seems so overwhelming to us, we remember that God delivers King Jehoshaphat. I read this account because it's perhaps not as familiar to us, though I've referenced it recently. But King Jehoshaphat, when he faced the many nations against him, he was frightened but not faithless because his eyes were upon the Lord. Listen to what he says. Or listen to the account and then how he responds. He says, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then it goes into a description. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Metaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and all Judah with him fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They rose early in the morning and the Lord routed their enemies before them. Enemy of the world can seem so overwhelming. The powers of the political machine or the advertisers or the culture and its desire to suppress the truth. But God controls all peoples. He controls the nations. The illness of one world leader sends a nation in a completely different trajectory. A famine in the land and a nation crumbles. Wickedness. God brings his hand of judgment. He raises up nations and he brings them down, as Daniel so eloquently reminded us from Babylon in Daniel chapter 2. Well, think also of the devil. Think of how the, our enemy, the devil, seeks to destroy. When we think of this, we think of Job. How the devil comes before God and asks for permission to test Job. And the Lord permits him to do so, but the Lord is sovereign in every detail. He says, you may not take his life. He is mine. The Lord sets the terms, and the devil turned away. Or about our own flesh. The Bible talks about our spiritual condition. Apart from God, we're dead in sin. But God makes us alive in Christ that we might see what we had not seen before, the power of God, the wisdom of God in Christ, our Lord, who though he suffered, gained victory over even death and opened the way that all may enter into heaven, all who believe in him. 
So when we close our prayer with these words, we're remembering that he is the all-powerful king. That is, God is the all-powerful king who works all things for our good. We make all our petitions to him because he's willing and able to give us what we need to live this true life. Listen to those words of the catechism again. We have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. He can give us everything and promises to give us everything good, all things necessary. All the material world belongs to him. The spiritual realm he has created created it all. When Christ returns, the material world and the the heavens, the spiritual, will be joined together in that new heavens and new earth, displaying his glory in deeper ways than we presently see. We want to remember to praise him. We conclude our prayer this way because his holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever, write the authors of the catechism. Here we want to look back at First Chronicles 29 where we began. David reflects on his uh, God's goodness and praise uh, at the dedication of the temple or to the planning of that building of the temple. We want to just think a few th- about a few things before we look at his words there in verses uh, 10 and 11. First, the question, who established David upon his throne? It was none other than the Lord Almighty. Remember how he was tracked and hunted like an animal by King Saul. Those promises of God seemingly in question. Will, in, will I indeed ascend to the throne? Says David in numerous, a number of the Psalms. He, he says, Lord, I, I, am, I am distraught. I'm fearful. I'm afraid. I don't think your plans are going to come to pass. And yet you are faithful, O God. You will do what you promise. He is established by God. Who kept David upon his throne? Remember how his, his experience? His own sons wanted to remove him from the throne. His own family was seeking to take him off the throne. Who kept him there? God Almighty. Our God. The God of the generations. Think about that picture. Who establishes you as the heir of the kingdom? It is the Lord Almighty who is faithful, who will keep his people. Who can keep you from receiving your inheritance? No one. Nothing can separate you from God's plan for you. God has said through his son that you are his child and as such have a right to become children of God. John 1 verse 12. And then John says in 1 John 3, and such we are, children of that family. Though the world may not recognize it, though the world may not recognize God, God says it is established, seated with Christ in the heavenlies by faith. Was it you who chose for the kingdom? No. God brought you from death to life. And as such, you can have every confidence that you will ascend to heaven That you will not fall under accusation or any enemy threat that has not been conquered completely by God the Son. He is to be praised. David recognizes that God established him. 
that God kept him. Did David build God a house? Was it in his hand? Was it up to David to determine this? No. No, God says that he was a warrior and a man of blood. And indeed, all mankind are defiled before the Lord and unable to come before the Lord or to offer him anything. The foundation of salvation is the grace and mercy of God and nothing else. And that is established from eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in covenant to accomplish this plan. The Lord established David upon the throne, not because he was better than any other, but according to his good pleasure to display his glorious power and his promises bring people in through the generations. Who who keeps the children of God and the family of God? God does by his almighty power. This comes to clear expression in Jesus' words in John chapter 6 when he says this, I shall lose none of those whom the Father has given to me. The Father is the one doing the giving. The Son secures that redemption by his shed blood. Father is greater than all. No one is able to snatch God's children out of his hand. He says that in John 10. I give my own eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. See, they belong to him. I give my own eternal life. He says, they belong to me. I have purchased them with my own blood. Secure. He says, my father has given them to me. The father gives them to him. He's greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. The truth is seen throughout the scriptures. Just one of the wonderful teachings that we reflect upon is the doctrines of grace, the perseverance of the saints. And we praise God for that. He preserves. He keeps. He keeps his own. And we are to thank and praise him. David does not build a name for himself, a family. He does not build the temple. He rejoices in God's promise to accomplish this. The temple, which is a picture of his kingdom on earth, is established by him. And he says this, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. The Lord's faithful from generation to generation to guard and to keep. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Listen to these words from Psalm 93, where the psalm writer reflects upon God's kingdom. Psalm 93, the first two verses. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, You've established your throne in the heavens. Your kingdom rules over all. Yours is the kingdom and the power Psalmist says in Psalm 89, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. For you are the glory 
of their strength, of the people of God, their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. The king is exalted. God exalts his son to his glory through his power. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Herman Witsius says this in his commentary, The Lord alone possesses those excellencies and perfections which no mind can conceive, no tongue can express, no pen can describe. He makes them known to the consciences of all by his word. He is known through his word. His glory is there. He alone is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Psalm 104 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. There is no darkness in him. No darkness can squelch his light. No darkness can bring shadow in his presence, for he is all-glorious, worthy to receive glory and honor and power as we read in the book of Revelation. Chapter 4, there's none like him, glorious in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, Moses says in Exodus 15. We praise him, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then amen is that word. Herman Veldkamp again, amen is not so much a period at the end of the sentence, but a confession of faith. Catechism writers put it this way. What does that little word amen express? In the older version of answer 129, we read this. This is sure to be, it is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. I I find that helpful, the way it's said there. The the newer version is good, but I, I remember the older one better. And Sometimes our zeal is not what it should be when we're praying for something. Lord, Lord, make me more like Christ. And then the Lord works in our lives and we, we don't thank him for what he's doing. We don't, we don't praise his name for what he's accomplishing because we, we, we don't really think about what we are praying for. Our desire is so low, so weak. And so we can say, amen, so shall it be for God God will listen to our prayer and do what we ask in ways that we don't even fully pray for. Our desire is too weak. We desire such so little. We ask for that which is only temporal when we should be praying for that which is eternal, those character traits, that Christ-likeness to be worked in us which will be eternal with us in the heavens. So as we close, let me remind us what the catechism teaches. Remember how we're to approach God in prayer. Question answer 117 says this, we're to pray to none other than the one true God who's revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything, everything he has commanded us to ask of him. To pray from our hearts, acknowledging our need and misery and humbling ourselves in his majestic presence. In all this, we are uncertain of ourselves and that as it should be, for we are so fickle and weak that we depend upon God and he provides everything, spiritually and physically. 
We acknowledge that we cannot depend on ourselves, but there is an unshakable foundation on which we can depend. God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What do we read in his word but this, that Christ is God's yes and amen, the establishment of all God's promises, his blood poured out, for the complete forgiveness of our sins, and that atoning sacrifice, his body, which causes our prayers to be lifted up as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God, that he might answer and grant us everything we need. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your name is unlike any other. For it represents you. You are unlike any other. Immutable. Omniscient. Omnipotent. Omnipresent. All of these attributes and more help us to live with confidence. As we look up, not to ourselves, but as we look up. Knowing that we have in heaven one who is able as Almighty God to answer all our prayers and one who desires to do so as a loving Heavenly Father. You will provide our daily bread. You will forgive us our sins. You will deliver us from evil. You will hear us and sanctify us in keeping with your promises, that you would receive the glory, that we would recognize that yours is the power, that more and more we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and in us more and more as your people. For this we humbly thank you and praise you, for you are worthy of all our praise. Hear us, for we pray it through Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen.